We're going to be in Mark chapter 6 and also in Matthew chapter 6 in just a moment. I think we're living, at least it seems to me, we're living in a time of, uh, or an age of perpetual offense. Uh, whether it's uh, news media or Twitter, uh, sports, politics, it seems like somebody is always offended and someone's always reacting to someone or something uh, that has been said to the point where I'm getting paranoid. I mean, I'm sorry, but, but I, you know, I, I end up, you know, I, I communicate with a lot of people in a lot of different ways, and I'm just, I'm starting to get a little paranoid. Is what I'm saying going to offend someone? And, uh, you know, when I send out a text message or an email these days, I read it three times just to make sure I'm not saying something that's offensive, especially with spell check. Sometimes words come up that you don't want people to see. But anyway, you know, a friend of mine's a pastor, and uh, he loves to post on Twitter. He's got a, you know, big ministry a lot of people follow, and uh, he was working on a sermon the other day. It's kind of a complicated topic, and he wanted to make it practical. So he's, you know, he's just racking his brains out, which I, I totally identify with. And uh, wh while he's working on this sermon, he had this thought. He said, people don't need sermons that smell like a library. Uh, people need sermons that smell like real life. Now, he was pretty impressed with himself coming up with that thought. He thought at least that's what I told him. Um, uh, he thought he should post it on Twitter. And, uh, and so he did. Unfortunately, there was a woman in his church that followed him on Twitter. And when she read it, she responded, great, just what I needed. My pastor taking shots at my chosen career and profession. She was a librarian. People don't need sermons that smell like a library. They need sermons that smell like real life. Now, in his mind... That tweet had nothing to do with libraries, maybe the smell. But anyway, it had nothing to do with books or reading or librarians. He just, you know, he's got a lot of pastors who follow him, and he thought he wanted to encourage them. Be practical, you know. Don't, don't read a book. Get up there and talk about real life. That's what he was trying to say. But it, it really illustrates how difficult it is to communicate and how easy it is to offend other people. Uh, there are six things, by the way, that are happening when you communicate. I don't know if you know this or not. If you've been coming here very long, you've heard me say it before. There's what you said. And, and then there's what you think you said. And then there's what you think they heard. A and then there's what they heard and what they think they heard. And then what they think you said. And how many know those are miles apart sometimes? I mean, how did you get that out of that? That is not what I said. Well, you know, when I was growing up, that meant, and it's just all this miscommunication sometimes in regard to uh, trying to communicate. Well, uh, we're in a series here in the life of our church talking about building better relationships together. And this morning, I want to talk about guarding against offense. So, uh, you know, Jesus is the one who said in, in John chapter 10, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. How many know that Satan is a destroyer, a liar, father of lies, but also a, a destroyer? And, and you know that I really believe one of the number one things he wants to do is destroy our relationships. And one of the reasons why is because when you have a 
healthy relationship, that's a reflection of God. Because God lives in relationship, perfect relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect unity all the time. You know there's no competition in the Godhead between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When you're worshiping Jesus, the Father is going, isn't that awesome? That's my Son. And, and uh, when you're talking to the Holy Spirit about something he's said to you or working in your life, you know, Jesus is not going, man, when do I get my kudos here? Okay. okay. There's no competition in, in, the, in the Godhead. Sometimes people will ask, well, who do you pray to? Well, who do you want to pray to? Now, Jesus, when he taught us, he said, you know, our Father in heaven teaching people of Israel that God was, was more than God Almighty who created all things, who parted the Red Sea and did all the miracles, but that he was personal and intimate. He was our Father. When you pray, if you want to talk to your Father, awesome. Some of you don't have a good image of your Father. And if it's better for you to pray and talk to Jesus because you see Jesus in the Gospels, hey, no one is offended. There's no offense. Can you imagine? <clears throat> No offense uh, in the Godhead, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. God designed us for relationships. We benefit from relationships in Genesis 2. He, he said it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he says two are better than one because they get a better return, a, a greater reward for for their labor. In the book of Psalms 91, it says one can put to flight a thousand to 10,000. There's a multiplication of influence. There's a, a multiplication of power in unity when you pray together, when we agree together as a church in regard to the truth or in regard to something that we're, we're wanting to accomplish in Jesus' name. Relationships are important. No wonder Satan wants to destroy uh, relationships. Now, his strategy is to divide. That's his strategy. His, his goal is always to divide uh, relationships. Matthew 12, 25 says, A house divided against itself cannot stand, or it will not stand. His tactic is offense. Okay, his tactic is offenses. Okay, now he's very subtle. Okay, you know, wouldn't it be great if Satan would just jump out and say, Hey, I want to destroy your marriage. Hey, I want to destroy all the relationships in this church. I want to destroy this community. I want to divide everyone, just destroy everyone. I want to destroy this nation. Just going to create opportunity for offense, and it's going to be destroyed. How many think if Satan jumped out and told you that, we'd all rise up, of course, and stand against him and defeat him? But he's very subtle. In fact, the thing that offends you seems really reasonable. There's always a line of logic and there's always a line of reason because Satan has been working throughout all history but throughout all generations and he creates logic and reasons and lines of thinking that make so much sense to you that you'd rather hold on to what you believe sometimes than make amends. He creates offense and all of a sudden it's so subtle it sounds so reasonable and all of a sudden we're divided and we're struggling and we're floundering let me read mark uh, chapter 6 uh, verse uh, 1 through 6 it says 
Jesus left there and, and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Uh, where did this man get all these things, they asked. Uh, what's this wisdom that has been given to him? Uh, that he even does miracles? Uh, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. This section of scripture is really interesting to me. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons. Jesus has been ministering to uh, you know, the people of Israel for, for about a year, maybe a year and a half when this event takes place. Okay, he's done a lot of miracles. He healed a lot of people. He's done a lot of teaching. Thousands of people are beginning to follow him. Remember the miracle he did with the five loaves and two fish? 5,000 men were there and probably 10, maybe even 15,000 uh, counting women and children. So there are a lot of people starting to, to, to follow him. And all of Israel is beginning to talk. Could he be the Messiah? Could, could he be the one who's, who has been promised? And then here in, in 6, uh, Mark chapter 6, he returns to his hometown as a guest speaker at his home church. Now, you would think they'd be really excited. I mean, we got Jesus coming to preach this morning. I mean, it's going to be awesome. But instead, they took offense. They, they, they took offense at him? Where did he get his wisdom? Where did he get his power? Isn't this the car? Didn't he build your house? Didn't he fix your roof? Didn't he play kickball with our kids out in the street? I mean, aren't his brothers here? Is his mother here? They took offense. And the lines of reasoning that the rabbis had taught about the scriptures and the Old Testament and what the nation believed, it just didn't make sense. It just didn't line up. And, and, and because of that, they couldn't overlook what they thought they knew that was right and as a result of that they missed out completely on what Jesus would have wanted to do uh, first thing I want you to see is that offense is always a choice it's a choice we make verse 3 it says they took offense now I know you feel powerless I mean you feel all these strong feelings and emotions and you feel like you have no control over that you need to know that that's not true Offense is something you choose. It's something you pick up. You pick up an offense and you're unwilling to let it go. You're unwilling uh, to, to ignore it. Sometimes you pick up other people's offenses. Have you noticed? A certain person will come and say, did you hear what so-and-so said? Man, that is really, really bad. And so they pass on someone else's offense. That happens in the workplace all the time. It happens in churches, unfortunately. It happens in prayer groups. <laughs> happens... It's just our nature. We, we kind of feed on offense sometimes. It's, it's part of our flesh. It's, it's part of our desire for power. It's part of our desire for control. Offense is a choice we make. Number two, second thing I see here is that offense blocks the miracle power of God from working in our lives. Look at verse 5. It says, he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. 
I don't know about you, but if I could lay hands on a few six people and heal, I'd be, that'd be good. I'm good. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be awesome? I just healed a few people this morning Sunday. But this is Jesus. <laughs> and nothing is impossible for him. And this is his hometown. And, and Nazareth, a small town, very poor. This is Derry, okay? This is a small town. I'm not saying people in Derry are poor. It's probably wealthier than I am and have a lot of land. And <laughs> but anyway, sorry about the illustration. Uh, very small town, a lot of poverty, a lot of needs. I, I think Jesus going to his hometown was moved with compassion before he got there. I think he was excited to see what he could do. But because they picked up a fence, he could do nothing. And one of the things it teaches us is that when you're offended, the power of God can't work in your life, in your relationship, in your church, in our community, when we're offended, in our nation, certainly, when we're all offended and divided. Third thing, offense is a result of lack of faith. Mark chapter 6, verse 6. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I think that's interesting. He was amazed. They're like, what kind of faith does it take to refuse to be offended? What kind of faith does it take to believe that God is greater than what just offended you, what just hurt you? What kind of faith does it take to believe that God hears your prayers, that he's always at work, that he's always in control, even when it hurts even when something wounds you or you feel betrayed or, or, or something happens where uh, it, just, it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel just, it's just not, it's, it's just not what should happen. <laughs> what kind of faith does that take? Well, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 6 this morning. I want to read a section uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 33, through chapter 7, verse 5. The focus, uh, by the way, in these verses is on Jesus. <laughs> Jesus says some things we're supposed to, to focus on here. Uh, and I really believe it does, ap applies to a lot of things, but certainly applies to relationships and, and to offense. Let me begin reading verse 3, 33, excuse me, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will cl uh, see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye focus. Here's what Jesus says in verse 33. Let's read it together. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Does anyone remember when you were a young Christian 
uh, w w what it took for you to begin to put Jesus first in your life, uh, what it took uh, to give Jesus control of your life, to give Jesus leadership, to, to give Jesus lordship. How many ever sang the little chorus, he is Lord, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. I used to sing that in my, uh, in my dorm room. There was a couple of girls that played the guitar, and, and uh, they were cute. But anyway, um, uh, I never thought of that. He is Lord. That was totally new to me. He is Lord. He's risen from the dead. He's Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. And, and, and I started learning to think of Jesus as Lord over every area of my life. Now, I had read a little book that helped. It was a little, little pamphlet, and it talked about the throne of your heart. And one of the things it said in this little booklet is that we all have a throne in our heart, and, and there's a lot of competition about who wants to be on the throne. Uh, you know, sometimes happiness is the goal of our life, and that's what we're pursuing. And so that's on the throne of our heart. Sometimes money, you know, is the thing we're pursuing. We think that's going to make us be happy, make us feel successful, and that's on the throne of our heart. Sometimes relationship. I just, I just need a, a relationship or a friendship, and, and so that's on the, the throne of my heart. Or sometimes it's career, or sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's greed or lust or, or satisfying all of your needs. And uh, one of the things, of course, this booklet talked about is uh, allowing Jesus to be the Lord and to take the throne in your heart, to be on the throne of your heart in every aspect of your life. Now, I don't know about you, that wasn't easy for me to do. In fact, I think it's a battle every day in my life. But when I was a young believer, I started coming to this church first summer after I became a Christian. I came home, Klamath Christian Center, and the first way I was challenged, I had this friend named Steve Perry, and he, you know, I got involved in a Bible study with him, and he started inviting me to this church, and that was hard for me. I had to give up Sunday morning. I could have been fishing on the Wood River because my, my idol or my image of happiness was being outdoors, you know, being on the river, you know, that big five-pound German brown, that elusive fish that's hiding under some of those weeds. I was after him. And when he said, why don't you come to church? I said, well, maybe once. But then he said, hey, come to Wednesday night. We have church Wednesday night. And I thought, oh, man, now you're cutting into my... And then Sunday night, we had church three times a week. Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And man, <laughs> he's cramping my style. And, and, uh, and then there was Saturday morning men's prayer. We got together on Saturday morning at 6 o'clock and we prayed. And I'm, I'm just, the first thing that I had to give over to Jesus, I, I felt pressured to get, was my time to, to make him Lord of my life and to give him my time. That was hard. It, 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 was, it was super hard because I wanted to be in control of my time and what I did with my life. The next thing that he challenged me with was my money. What do you mean give Jesus lordship of my money? I got bills. I got things to do. I'm in college. I remember the first time the Lord, uh, 
I don't know if he asked me. I think he told me. He said, give 50 bucks in the offering. And I'm not giving 50 bucks. I'm a college student. I need my money. I'm going to go to dental school. I argued with God for a week. Literally, I argued for a week over 50 bucks because it was so hard for me to turn over my finances to the Lord and trust that he was bigger than my finances and that he could provide above and beyond what I had in my little bank account. How many of you, that was a little bit of a struggle for you in your life? Okay. The rest of you are liars, just so, so you know. Because Martin Luther said there's, there's two conversions that believers need to have. One is the conversion of our heart. Second is the conversion of our wallet. It's just super hard. A tithe? Are you kidding me? Bring a tithe into the storehouse? That there might be food in my house? Test me and see, says the Lord, if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing? Wow. By the way, that's not generosity. That's obedience to what God asks us to do, to trust him with our finances. And it's such a struggle making Jesus Lord of our life. Could I hear an amen? It's just tough. If you've won that battle, you know what I'm talking about. It's just tough. And then there was my career. You know, I'd mentioned I had planned on being a dentist and just giving up my career to the Lord. I felt called to the ministry. I had no idea what that meant. I, I was looking forward to being a dentist and in my mind, my imagination, there was financial security there and, and to go into the ministry. I had no idea I just knew I didn't need my 50 bucks anymore because I was going to be a pastor. And, uh, you know, God was going to... I don't know what I thought, but I remember surrendering my career to the Lord. And then relationships. You know, when I got up uh, working full-time doing... Uh, I was hanging sheetrock and I was going to Bible school early morning, 6 o'clock classes, and then in the evenings. And then on Saturdays, I would go to a nursing home. And I loved it, by the way. I, 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 uh, I loved going there. I'd spend a few hours with the people and for some of them, help them get down to the cafeteria where I'd get out my guitar and strum and, and sing. But it was frustrating for me because I watched all of my friends pursuing their dreams, pursuing happiness and dating all these cute girls that were part of uh, Faith Center in Eugene. You know, U of O's right there a lot of young people, and gosh. <laughs> Chad is running over there. That's our baptistry, by the way. That was not a demon. <laughs> that was our baptistry. Apparently something with the air going on over there, so he's running that direction. But anyway. I, I remember being so frustrated because I saw everybody else. I felt like they were passing me up in my life. They were doing, they had so much freedom. I, I was busy all the time. I didn't have time to date girls. On Friday night, I was writing a sermon for Saturday morning at the, at the nursing home. And I remember seeking the Lord and praying and, 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 and talking to Jesus. I felt like the Lord said, There's a difference between searching and becoming. I, 
I, I didn't understand it at the time, but it's amazing when God speaks to you, he can, like a sword of the spirit, he can cut through something in your soul and he can help you see something that literally delivers you for years to come. And in that moment, not being critical of anyone or my friends who were dating at the time or anything, but I just felt like this, the Lord said, they're searching for happiness. Happiness is in me. And as you're learning to find yourself in me, know who I am, know who you are, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added to you. There's something different between searching and becoming. And in that moment, he said, I'll take care of you. I got your back. You're covered. Just seek me. Now, I don't know if you've learned to make Jesus Lord of your life, whether you've learned how to find true contentment or happiness. I, I don't know if you've learned how to turn over your life, your career, your finances, or whatever it is in your life. I don't know if you've learned to turn that over to the Lord. We all come to church. We smile. We got our, you know, Jesus is coming back bumper stickers. But there's something else in these verses that is a secret to true and genuine happiness. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added unto you. And that especially applies to relationships. Do you notice that? Here in verse uh, one through five of, of, of Matthew chapter seven, he says, do not judge and you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. brought a couple of tools today that are really important when it comes to relationships and our focus. First one's a magnifying glass. And, uh, you know, one of the things uh, a magnifying glass does is... Uh, it magnifies whatever you focus on. You notice that? Did anyone play with these when you were a kid growing up and tried to burn ants on the sidewalk or something? But a magnifying glass uh, magnifies whatever you focus on. Now, I get to do a little premarital counseling, and when couples comes in, it's amazing to me. They are always focused on the strengths of the person that they're planning to marry. They're so excited. I mean, they sing, say things like, she is so funny. Uh, he's so easy to talk to. Uh, she's so patient and kind. He's so laid back, uh, which is code for lazy after they're married. But anyway. <laughs> the, 
They're always focused on their strengths. I think that's interesting to me. Always focused on their strength. And then I've noticed after people get married, I've noticed we take for granted strengths and all the things that attracted us to one another. You know what I'm saying? All those things we were so thankful we finally found. Someone who understands me, easy to talk to, he listens to me. And we start taking all those things for granted and we start focusing on weaknesses. Have you, have you noticed that? Start focusing on weaknesses. Now that's somewhat natural. Michael, can I pick on you? Uh, isn't it natural? See, you have to get pretty close to see a speck in someone's eye, don't you? And when we're dating, we don't always see those specks that are there. But once we get close, of course, uh, it's hard to hide. You know the problem with intimacy? Intimacy is about letting others see into me. That's what intimacy is in our life. And it's very threatening. It's a lot easier to be up here on the stage uh, than it is to get close. And, and the same is true in the body of Christ. You know, when we're wanting to build better relationships together, it's so much easier to come to church and then slip out quickly than it is to hang around long enough to, to see the specks <laughs> that are there in in other people's eyes. I mean, we can focus on their strength. He is so funny. He's so easy to relate to when we're in a big group, but when you start getting close, it's just a lot more challenging, and that's why, you know, the idea of Bible studies or small groups or life groups or some of those things seem throw so threatening to us. So, so how do we deal with all that? Well, whatever you focus on, you magnify. And that's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added. When you focus on Jesus in the midst of offenses or hurts or the speck, when you focus on Jesus, he gets bigger. You focus on Jesus. How many know that love covers a multitude of sins? When you focus on Jesus as you're being challenged to communicate, and it's not easy. Remember, there are six things going on when you're trying to communicate, but when we focus on Jesus, it helps us so much with the things that Satan has designed strategically to divide and destroy uh, the, the relationships that we have with one another. One of the things that I appreciate about my wife is that she doesn't spend very much time focusing on my weaknesses. One of the things she focuses on is my strengths, and I need that. I'm a little insecure, like a lot of people, and when she focuses on my strengths and compliments me, I'll tell you, you know, a couple of years ago, um, my, uh, my wife came home, and her back of her little Subaru was... Uh, full of groceries, you know, all those plastic bags. They can't get much in there, so they don't weigh a lot. So, you know, she asked me to come out and help her. And of course, my, my love language is acts of service, and so I, I love to help. So she asked me to come out and help her, and I ran out there. You know, I got about five or six bags on each hand, you know what I'm saying, carrying them all in. And she looked at me, and she says, man, you're strong. 
Really? It's nothing. Now, she doesn't remember that, but I do. Years later, because she appreciated what I was doing, focused on the fact that, you know, acts of service is my love language, but more importantly, she said something to build me up. And I'll tell you, that makes such a difference. One of the reasons why the Bible says, you know, Respect one another out of reverence for Christ. It's because we all need respect. And when we focus on strengths, that builds us up. When we focus on strengths in friendships, focus on strengths in the body of Christ. It goes on to say, then, wives, respect your husbands. And then, husbands, love your wives. There are different responsibilities we have that are unique, but they're all about building one another. And, and, and that's so important for our life. And, and without the ability to focus on Jesus, it is so hard. That's why we have to keep seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto us. Now there's a, a second thing, second tool that we need that helps us focus. It's a mirror. See, the, the first one, helps us with intimacy and helps us focus on Jesus. The second tool helps us with honesty where we learn how to focus on Jesus and look honestly at ourselves. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I don't know. Why do I do that? You know, sometimes the reason why we're so hard on others is because we're still hard on ourselves. But we haven't learned how to accept God's love. We haven't learned how to accept God's forgiveness. Sometimes the reason why we're so critical or quick to react are insecurities defensiveness builds up because of things that have been said to us throughout our life either by parents or in the workplace where someone was on us all the time and and so we hear some attempt at kind criticism and we react because we haven't taken time to look at ourselves honestly and say what is that in me Jesus help me with that in my soul you said that you love me you said that you accept me. And sometimes the reason we have a hard time forgiving, and I know that many of us, you know, some of us it's easy to forgive. It's just part of our temperament, you know, mercy and forgiveness is very easy. Some of us are very black and white, and forgiveness is, is a lot harder. But sometimes forgiving others is hard because we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. And one of the things that this tool does is it helps me look honestly at who I am and then honestly at God. Aren't you thankful he knows who you are better than you do? And he loves you and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He's done everything he could 
to draw you to himself to have an intimate relationship with you. And that's why I think Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness and everything else. All these needs, learning that he's the one that will provide for us and care for us. He's the one who will protect us in our relationships with one another. I want to encourage us here this morning. How do we deal with offense? Seek first his kingdom his righteousness. Look to Jesus. Put him on the throne of your heart and walk through whatever season you're going through uh, with him on the throne. I'm going to invite uh, uh, the worship team to come on out here this morning and I'm going to say a prayer for us as we uh, conclude here this morning. We all have to deal with offense and, and we have to make a choice. Am I going to pick it up? <laughs> Or am I going to let it go? It's a choice we make every day of our life. We are barraged by media, social media, the news. They're around us all the time. But in our workplace, there's opportunity for offense. And in our home, uh, there's opportunity for offense. We've got to make a choice. What we have to understand is if we pick it up, the miracle power of God is blocked in us and the miracle power of God is blocked flowing through us we don't want to let that happen we want God to be at work in us we want God to be at work through us and every time every time we let go of an offense we strengthen our faith we demonstrate our faith we walk out our faith so I want to encourage you here this morning Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Let the rest of it go. Won't we stand together?